0: Well, it was more than 60 years ago that the United States government recognized that they had a shortage of migratory game birds, and so they were going to fix it. They had birds such as wood ducks, and hooded meganzers, pintails, and shovelers, and blue-winged teals, and all the things you may have never heard of out there, and they had recognized there weren't enough of them. And though you wouldn't know it, they also thought we need some more Canadian geese, okay? <laughs> Today, if you look in the our skies, western New York skies, anytime in the fall and in the spring, you would never think you didn't have enough Canadian geese. You see thousands of them, sometimes just filling the whole sky. But back then, they had decided that they had not. They were counting birds and seeing what there were, and there just weren't enough of them. And they said there wasn't enough habitat. So the government made a decision, and of course, in all of its infinite wisdom, it decided to plop down a great big plot of acreage to protect those ducks and give habitat to geese and ducks and everything right here in the middle of western New York, in the middle of nowhere. So they picked out about 14,000 acres, and they pulled it, from whomever they needed to to make it happen. So you've heard of a thing called eminent domain I'm sure and that's where the government decides that it would like to take your property and so it does and it gives the money to you whatever they deem it worthy at the time whether you want to or not you really don't have a choice in the matter so they did that around here they took the little homesteads and farms, farmland and things all around. And they uh, took it up and made it into a big refuge here for ducks and geese. And we're not here to talk about all the things that happened or didn't happen, but suffice it to say that there were little homesteads throughout that place. And still to this day, 60 years later, you can walk along in the right places in the middle of the refuge and see blooming daffodils and see flowers that have been planted years and years, decades and decades and decades ago, and old maple trees that are big and some of them dying and breaking down. Things that left a mark from people that were there. People that had built a homestead and put in their home there. So my grandfather was one of the original workers that came to work in this wildlife refuge. Almost 60 years ago he came to help manage these new habitats and they brought in bulldozers and everything else and pushed out a bunch of big wet open areas. They wanted to create habitat and they did. They added to the old mucky Oak Orchard Creek and that took that area around there and created a great big habitat so my grandfather worked there for about 30 years in the refuge and he spent every day out in the swamps wandering around checking wood duck boxes creating more habitats doing things like that and he loved his job so when he wasn't working He was out in the swamps, wandering around, looking for things. He was out there all the time. And so my father grew up taking walks out into the swamp, finding the old apple trees along where there used to be homesteads or big maple trees and climbing up in those things, finding those things and learning the areas of the swamp all around and all the little things that created a landscape that you could navigate through and of course when i was old enough they took me out and i went with my grandfather and my father and we went out and hunted pheasants and eventually we hunted deer and all sorts of things we went out walking through the swamps and i learned all those little homestead names those places where now nobody could tell the difference except i say well that belongs to this person or that belongs to that person or used to, 70 years ago anyways. So I had learned all of those little places to navigate. And then when I got to be old enough to be out in the swamp myself, I spent quite a bit of time wandering around and looking. And what you find out about a place like the Alabama swamps is 14,000 acres is big. You can walk and walk and walk and walk and eventually you get into areas where there's no more anything that looks different. There's no more big maple tree and daffodils here it's just acres and acres and acres of swampland tree after tree, brush after brush, and it's very easy to get turned around once you lose your bearings. Well, I had done that a few times when I was out there. I got turned around in the swamp, and luckily it was daytime when I got turned around, because probably about an hour and a half later, I ended up in the same spot, lost again, apparently, and said, wow, this looks very familiar. I think I need to go that way this time. And I'd go around, and another two hours later, I'd be in the same spot and say, I'm pretty sure I have no idea where I am. So I learned that there's a very big area out there, and you can get lost pretty easily. Well, I remember one night I sat out there, and I was out in the swamp till just before dark, and I had taken, gotten down from my tree stand, and I was going to walk out of the swamp. And I took a wrong turn, and very quickly the darkness fell or it seemed like it was very quickly as I wandered around and looked around for anything that was familiar and there was nothing it all looked very much the same as the, next, the last place i had been to and then the next place I went to I wandered around for a little while and I'll tell you what I felt anxiety because I knew how big that swamp was and Maybe a little bit of fear, like, I think I could walk all night and no one would ever find me. They might find my car, but they wouldn't know where I am. I might be three or four hours away walking through. And then you keep running into this body of water and that little creek and this and that. And get you a little bit more and more nervous. Darkness brings in a whole new dimension to things. Anxiety comes in a little bit when you think you just might not make it out of this place. And all I could remember thinking very vividly as I'm walking through looking for anything familiar, walking faster and faster, trying to find things, thinking, boy, I wish I was just at home right now. I wish I knew where I was and I wish I was at home. Well, where we pick up our story today, the disciples are feeling a little bit of that anxiety. They are feeling a little bit of that nervousness. They've come to a point where they are not quite sure what's going to happen next. We've been working through the book of John. So if you turn to John with us, we've been looking at the miracles... That Christ did. And last week, of course, we looked at feeding the 5,000. We're going to be in that same chapter, John chapter 6, this week, where we find the disciples. Remember, they have just left this big crowd. In fact, that's not quite all the story, really. They were in the big crowd where Jesus had taken the five loaves and the two fishes and torn them up, handed out parts and pieces, and when they were all said and done, Jesus said, everybody got fed from these little five loaves and two fishes. Go and gather up what's left. The disciples go While everybody's laying back with their bellies full and saying, Oh, I'm so full, I don't think I can eat another thing. The disciples went around. And not by mistake, they collected up 12 baskets full of leftover bread and fish. And I say not by mistake because there were 12 disciples. Every single disciple walked back with a full basket of food. Every disciple had more food than when they started in the beginning. Every single one of them. And that's an important thing to this next part of the story because they all had a basket full of food. And they all ate. And Jesus took care of them. Jesus knew what they needed at that moment. And then Jesus did something very different. Very different. John chapter number 6. We pick up this story. John chapter 6 verse number 15. We're still in the place where the 5,000 are fed. Because you need to know this part of the story to go on to the next part. John chapter 6 verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. He departed again. Into a mountain himself alone. So here's the disciples, and they're all sitting there, and the crowd are going wild for Jesus. He just fed us from one little tiny handful of food. He fed 5,000 men besides women and children. So it could have been 10 or 12 or 15,000 people. He fed them from this little tiny handful of food. We need a king like him. we got to get him for our king. And they start talking amongst themselves, this big crowd of people. And a crowd can be pretty persuasive when it's big. And so what happens is they just say, we're going to go take him. We're going to make him be our king because we want this. We want to be treated just like this all the time. Jesus knows and understands what's going on in the crowd So he gives his disciples a few small instructions, and he slips out of the crowd and leaves up to the mountain while the crowd is sitting there. You see, he leaves his disciples there. He gives them some instructions, which we'll find out in just a moment what he said to them because of what they do, but he's gone. He's gone away. And the disciples kind of hang out there with the crowd in the bask of all the glory. Look at what Jesus did. Isn't it great? I know. He should be our king. It's great. It's great. And he slips away in the mountains, and he's gone. Because Jesus does not want to just be the God of our bellies not what Jesus wants that's not why Jesus came to earth Jesus came to earth for something much larger much deeper much more important than just feeding us although he does that he gives us what we need he came for something more important and he was not about to be wrangled up by a crowd and so he slipped out and he's gone. Verse number 16, as we pick that story up, Jesus is gone, and so the disciples are sitting there. Verse 16 of chapter 6 of the book of John. And when even, or evening <clears throat> was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea, and entered into a ship, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. Okay, so Jesus is gone. And he has given them instructions, though in this gospel it doesn't tell you that. Uh, but he's given them instructions, I want you to go take the boat and leave. Well, they hang out for a while, you know, just kind of hang out with the crowd. Oh, everybody's full. And pretty soon it's getting to be evening time. And so they say, oh, it's getting late, we better get into the boat. So they go down to the shore and the 12 disciples get into that little boat and out they go and head towards Capernaum. Okay? It's several miles out to this on this journey. So it's going to take them some time. <clears throat> and as they go, they slip out into the boat and they feel a little breeze coming up on the lake. Just a little breeze. And then that little breeze Gets a little bit bigger, and a little bigger, and a little more intense. Verse number 18 says, And the sea arose by reasons of a great wind that blew. So, my wife and I went out years back. We uh, took a canoe out on a lake called Moosehead Lake. And uh, that's a very big lake up in Maine. Uh, It's several miles wide, and it's, I think, over 40 miles long. So it's a very big lake, lots of little inlets and outlets. And we thought, I've been in a canoe lots in my life. We hopped in the canoe, looked like a beautiful afternoon, and out we went. And as we got about halfway across the lake where we were going, suddenly, we could feel the, the waves start to push us around and... A canoe's not very deep, okay? (laughs) That's something you should know about a canoe. And it does fill with water pretty easily. So the idea is, you're kind of getting pushed around out there. And as we started to go, we all of a sudden had to change course because the waves didn't agree with the direction we were going. And so we changed course so that we would cut into the waves. And we tried with all our might to get to the nearest shoreline which was the opposite side of the lake where we wanted to be so we did we got to that nearest shoreline and i remember still even though these waves were probably only 18 inches high weren't that big really but in a canoe 18 inch high wave is a pretty good size wave i remember the canoe as we got off it was kind of a rocky spot and the canoe kept banging against the way kept banging against the rocks on the side and i said wow do you know what we have to go all the way back across the lake <laughs> and then my mind started to consider well maybe if we just pick this canoe up and walk around Well, I had no idea how far that really was. Luckily, we decided to cut back across the waves and across the lake, which only took us a while, because I later found out from Amy's great-uncle that it was a 50-mile walk to the cabin from where we were. (laughs) It's a lot of little juts in and out to get around there, so uh, I guess we chose the right way, but just a little bit of wind and a little bit of waves... And really wreak havoc. And we were in the middle of a sunshiny day with those waves. Now, the disciples, again, they are experienced uh, fishermen. They've been in boats all their lives. But some waves are just too big. And along come these waves. And remember, they left at dark out into the water. It's very difficult to fight what you cannot see. And so, with all their might and all of their skill as fishermen and boatmen, they are out there trying to keep their boat straight, cutting through the waves, trying to do their very best to keep it upright. Get a little nervous, they are. The darkness added a little bit more to that anxious part of their feelings. And I think, as the thing rocked, I think many of them thought, why isn't Jesus here with us? Where did he go? Doesn't he know these things? He left us and just said, yeah, you guys go over. But he didn't have a plan to get over there. Where are we going to meet him again? What's going to happen? And I think the anxiety sort of ramped up in their minds, that feeling of unease, Jesus just disappeared. And we're in trouble. you ever felt that way? I know I have at times. To be stuck in the middle of a storm in your life and just feel like there's no way out. And God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. God doesn't seem to be listening or watching. Doesn't he see that I'm in the middle of this in my life? I'm struggling here. And I can't seem to get out. All I'm doing with all my might is just hanging on and trying to keep it upright. And that's all I can do. We ask ourselves those questions. We forget quickly things Just like when I was out in the swamp, getting a little more nervous, a little more nervous, and what happens if, and how come, if I don't know where I'm going, I could be wandering out here all night. They were just hanging on to try to keep that boat upright. In the dark, the winds and the waves coming at them. Verse number 19, as we see what they... Just to give us perspective, so when they had rowed about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs, we'll pick that verse up in a minute, that means they are 3 or 4 miles out into the water. That's a long ways. 3 or 4 miles, so they're kind of in the middle of the ocean. They have no choice but to hang on. They have no choice but to hold on for dear life, try to do their best to keep it and keep going. And they're alone out there. They're alone. As we pick up verse 19 again, So when they had rowed about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. All of a sudden, in the most impossible circumstance, three or four miles out into the water, Jesus just shows up. Now remember, the lake is not glass as he's walking across. It is waves. It is tempestuous going around. Big enough waves where I imagine that it's tough to keep the boat upright. They're getting nervous. And there is something in the darkness, looks white or light, kind of coming towards us. And the wind is howling. And all of a sudden, I'm not saying anything to the guy next to me because I think I see somebody out there. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that that's not right. I must my something be, must wrong be wrong with my eyes, or maybe we're not. Maybe we're somewhere near a shoreline. They're nowhere near a shoreline. And there is Jesus walking amidst the waves as they crash around, and he's walking calmly through the waves. They're frightened. I don't know about you, but I've never seen anybody walking on water, okay? It's not a normal occurrence, and it's not something where your brain says, Oh, he's walking on the water. Your brain doesn't function that way because you've never seen anybody do that. I've never seen anybody do that. It's not natural. But Jesus is not natural at this point. He clearly is doing something a little bit different. There he is walking on the water, walking on top of the water. I don't even know if his sandals are wet. I don't know. Okay? He's just walking along, and clearly no one's seen this before. And he's coming closer to them. In fact, he said in another gospel, it said, he just acted like he was just going to walk by them. And they said, wait a minute, (laughs) made some noise. What's going on out there? Jesus, is that you? Verse number 20, But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. That's not exactly what he said. If you look it up and you see what was originally written in the Greek text, it's very interesting. It's translated to say, It is I, right? Sounds like, kind of like in Old English, somebody's announcing themselves, but that's not exactly what it says. What it says is two words. They're very important words, and he, ha- he is going to use them again in the garden when he is come to be arrested. John will talk about this again. And when the chief priests and the scribes and the soldiers come through to arrest Jesus in the garden, they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And they fall to the ground. Now that's not because he says, it is I, okay? Because <laughs> it is I doesn't mean, who, okay, it's me. They're soldiers... And they fall to the ground because of something very powerful that he said. It was many, many years ago when a man, Moses, was standing up on a mountaintop, reaching out towards a burning bush, when God said, I have a job for you, Moses. You're going to go out and you're going to tell the Israelites that they're going to be free, and you're going to go take them away from Pharaoh. And he says, they're not going to believe me. Who do I even say sent me? A bush that's burning? Who do I say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am that I am. Don't mess with me. Tell them I am sent you. God, powerful. That name that says, I am everything. I am almighty. I am everything I need to be. You don't have the ability to question me. I have authority over people. I have authority over nature. I have authority over the supernatural. There's nowhere I don't have authority. When I use the name I am, it means everybody listens to me. And so, there is Jesus... And they look out on the water and they say, is that you? I am. Don't be afraid. And the wind and the waves are still roaring around him. Roaring around him. There he is. And he's walking closer. He's walking closer and closer and closer. Verse number 21 Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land whither they went. We'll come back to that in a minute. Here's the interesting thing. In some of the other Gospels, it talks about this same event. And it says, when he stepped into the boat, the waves went flat. Wow. I am? Yes, you are. I I have no authority like that. He's got authority over that. He stepped into the boat. The wind stopped, the waves, and it was done. Now, he has no problem walking on the waves, but as soon as he stepped into the boat, his authority was over the wind and over the waves and over anything natural, supernatural, people. It makes no difference to him. He has all authority. So here's something that is amazing. These people, would you'd think, would say, that's God. And isn't that amazing to see Jesus? But there's something else that happened. Why do these 12 disciples get to see that? Here's the reason why. Out of the book of Mark we find it, and you don't have to turn there, there's one simple verse that says why Jesus walked on the water to them. It says this. They did not consider the miracle of the loaves for their hearts were hard they had just been that day with Jesus all day and he tore fish and loaves and fed thousands of people and they kind of had a little bit of a cocky attitude about it their hearts were hard they had been with God all day long he did a miracle right in front of them. And it didn't move them. They didn't consider the miracle of the loves. They just moved on. They just moved on with their life. Yeah, yeah, he did that. And off we are. We're going to go in a boat. And there we are in the middle of the boat. And the boat's rocking around. And where's Jesus? Jesus. They didn't consider the miracle of the loaves. And so we often do the same thing. We forget the things God has done for us daily. He brings us things. He does things for us. He feeds us. He takes care of us. He makes provision for us. He protects us. He does things day after day after day. How many days in our life have we spent healthy? Far more than we've ever spent sick. And when we get into a storm, and we're out there, and we feel alone, and it's dark, and everything around us is wailing and, and tearing up all around us, we say, God, where are you? We fail to remember. We fail to consider the miracle of the loaves. The bread in our life every day that God gives us. So we get into these things and we forget God's presence in our life. He's very near. All the time. Whether we feel him and we think we feel him or we don't. We get into the deepest, darkest tempest of our life where we think we have no way out. Something impossible. There's no way to fix this. You might feel that way in a personal thing today. Some storm happening in your life, in your heart, that nobody even knows about. Or you might feel that way about something in your family. Or something in a friendship. You might feel that way about our country. That we're in a deep, dark, stormy place, and there's no way out. Remember, the disciples were three or four miles out, and they never thought Jesus could help them out there. Just too far out. It's way too far past. We can't fix this. I can't help. I can't get help with this. We're just too far out of the way. I'm sure... That the disciples felt abandoned. Even though Jesus had just done a miracle with them. Just hours before. A miracle that the world would talk about for thousands of years later. We just did the miracle. We just saw him do it. And we just aren't even thinking about that. I've moved on to something new and I need more. And that's the way we think. But their hearts were hard. And they didn't consider the miracle of the loaves. May God soften our hearts, wherever we are today. We see miracles, and we've seen many of them in this church. For 30 years, we've seen things that God has done, and we look and we say, wow, how does that happen? And then we come to times where it's not like it always has been, where we're doing things differently, and we struggle, and we say, oh, what's going to happen, and God is going to take care of us. Consider the miracle of the loaves. He is going to watch over us. Remember, it's the very same Jesus that said, I am. And when he stepped into the boat, flat. It was all calm. Let us consider that Jesus can help us no matter how far out we think it is. No matter how difficult it is of a journey we think it is no matter if we think we're too far from help at this point god just can't help us now don't shortchange god in your personal life in anything that happens in our country don't shortchange god don't think he's not right there with us however it comes through however you get through the storm However wild the waves seem to be, he's there. He might be right on the other side waiting for you. He might be walking amongst them saying, I've got a plan. I'm watching. I've got this under control. I can handle this. He just wants us to reach out and remember the things that he's done all along. The miracle of the loaves every day daily bread that we get from him. He's been doing it all along. He will continue to do it. Let's consider the loaves and not have hard hearts. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the things that you've done for us, and we thank you, Lord, that you have cared for us and that you are close to us. Help us to live with you in our hearts. Help us to trust you dearly in our hearts. We thank you for this miracle, and we thank you for the message it brings, and may we listen to it. Be with all those out there, Lord, who are listening. Protect them and help them, and be with them and strengthen them. We ask for these things in your name. Amen. Let's finish up with uh, page 289. 289 is Abide With Me. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. We're going to do the first, second, and third verses. Abide with me. Page 289,
1: stand together with us. Abide with me, first hold thee. all day and stay can be, through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me.
0: Let's finish up with a word of prayer for today's service. Lord, we are grateful, thankful that you are there with us, that you have done many things. And that you are walking amongst the waves. Your presence is near us. May we feel it. May we know and trust that you are there. May we consider the miracle of the loaves. May our hearts be soft towards you. Help us to know what you want us to do. And we specially pray for all those people out there. Bring them back to this place that we may worship together. And know the love of Jesus and fellowship here together. We are thankful for this day and the good things you have done. Protect people and watch over them, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.